0: Happened. It, it happened actually on Friday night in our house. And I know maybe you're a little nervous about the talk when you see the words hurt and forgiveness and you're going, man, there's that. You know it's already like I've got to forgive this person. I can't believe I came. And they're talking about forgiveness or whatever. But it happened in my house Friday night. Um, I walked into the room and, uh, and I caught Dana totally red-handed. She was watching a Hallmark Christmas movie on the big screen TV. You know, it's like, oh, come on. Anyway, so, no, it it happened because this is why I bring that up. They always work out perfect in the end. And I'm sorry, life does not end perfect like that, does it? Like every time you've got just the, you could almost predict every Hallmark movie but hallmark christmas movie good times good times we had a blast with that and i actually got sucked into it just because it was her fault watching and sure enough at the end like santa's daughter finds the man of her dreams by coming down a chimney is this even real life you know anyway i just that was a spoiler alert if you're watching that version they all end the same so it's a spoiler alert for every hallmark christmas movie But in reality, you know, so you have everybody smiling in the end, they're around the table together, they're laughing, forgiveness happens, and everybody lives right. Does your Thanksgiving table look like this? Does does the normal Christmas tree around, is it peaceful? Is it that beautiful of a moment? And I think this series, we're dialoguing about some of these things, right? Reality is, have you intentionally left somebody off the christmas card list. right? Or have you intentionally left an empty seat at the thanksgiving table? And so when we began to brainstorm this talk within this series, we really began to look at man, truthfully, every family has these unspoken hurts and and forgiveness and unforgiveness issues that we really need the Lord to help us with. And the cool thing is, is is he does. Maybe you could fill in the blank if if you said I haven't spoken to blank in this many years. And anything and every once in a while you'll have a trigger remind you. You know, so we've we've got these these issues and and uh, deep hurts and deep wounds and and we've got scars that that should shape us ultimately, and yet it would be the wrong thing to do for us to get up here and say, Well, get over it. Wouldn't that be the least compassionate moment that we could live out? It's like, Yeah, so you've hurt and you're forgiven, but you know, just get over it, it's your fault. You know, it's not the goal of this series. In fact, I love what we're doing in this series in saying the reality is it's okay to not be okay at times. I love the tension of this graphic even, and it's very intentional. In fact, it's probably way too intentional, and most of you have not even notice all the elements, right, but reality is we've got get over it on one side of the bridge, and, and it's okay not to be okay on the, or okay to not be okay on the other side because that's a tension. Those phrases are almost like oxymorons, right? It's like, what? You're telling me to get over it but then on this side you're telling me it's okay here's what i want to tell you is reality is life looks like this trestle notice the rails are gone it's patchwork and yet there is a way from this side to that side so what if we don't tell people to get over it and instead in normal life we have this opportunity Which this symbolism kind of shows we have an opportunity to get to the other side and get through it. But reality is we may not ever get over it. I thought I was supposed to be happy and be filled with hope when I come to church. What are you talking about? Well, we'll go deeper here. So how do we get to the other side of hurt and unforgiveness? Let me read a passage. Matthew 5, 43 through 48, it's the one on your handout, or, you know, if you're looking it up on the, on the app, it's there as well. Verse 43, we'll start here. You've heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, says so it's Jesus talking, he's teaching, he's going, okay, this is Jesus' words, they're in red, depending on the Bible you're using. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain. We relate, right? He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, if you heard last week's talk, that last verse just tripped your weird meter. Because I told you last week, you don't have to be perfect. So I'll let the tension of that verse rest until the very end. So um, what an amazing question, though, that precedes it. And the question is, how are you different from anyone else? How are you different as a, and maybe some of you aren't here yet, but as a follower of Jesus, maybe some of you are exploring and that is okay. But as a follower of Jesus, once you put your faith in Jesus, lifting up your needs and burdens, how is our reaction different as one filled with hope And trust in God. How is it different than the other person who's hurt? And is it evident as as followers of Jesus. That when the rain of bad things comes in our life. or, Or the rain of things that needs forgiveness comes into our life. Do we respond differently than those that are without hope? Do we find a way to the other side of the hurt? And the forgiveness issue. So the big idea today is this, love paves the path through hurt and forgiveness. Love. Again, in verse 43, is like, have you heard the law? It says, love your neighbor and hate yourself, but in verse 44, Jesus says, but I say, love your enemies? Like, love the one who hurts you, love the one who needs your forgiveness, and, and how does that express itself? Well, the first thought is moments shape you, but shouldn't define you. The first thought, before we get into some more pragmatic like steps, would be to dialogue about this first. Moments shape you, but shouldn't define you. Sometimes a moment happens to us, and, and, and it changes us, or it becomes like our point of reference. It becomes our compass, our north, and that's not the intent of bad things, is that that becomes our definitive identity. We should not live in the past that way. And the enemy would love for us to. Because maybe we hurt ourselves. Maybe the one we need to forgive is us. Right? The intent is not to get over it, but to get to the other side or get through it again. The term defining moments is challenging Especially if you watch sports channels, because it seems like you can always get a great defining moment story. Or the commentators will often say, well, that's their defining moment right there. You know, and, and I don't know really any commentators with that voice. They probably would lose their job. So anyway, uh, so, uh, uh, they would fill out a petition against me if I had that voice and was a commentator. Tranquil. Anyway, so uh, moving on. They they do. They're like, a defining moment for this young man. This is going to be a great breakout season because of this. But if you have a defining moment that makes you successful, unfortunately, you can have a defining moment that could leave a really sour taste in someone's mouth. Like, maybe you call a throw instead of run. Just saying, maybe. Not that anybody's ever done that around here, Daryl Bevel. Okay, so... um. Uh, we look here at this issue and go, man, in sports, it's constantly referenced defining moment. And so we kind of get in our life and, and allow ourselves to, to have a moment define us. And we're, we're even unfortunately, maybe something really bad, 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 unimaginably bad happens in your life. And that becomes like a defining moment. And years later, you realize the hurt and resentment and bitterness welling up in you is rooted by a defining moment that you wish never happened to you. So how do we allow that to be a shaping moment instead of a defining moment? James challenges us in this, the book of James, if you read the first chapter, I'm not going to read it here, but it tells us that hardships of many kinds come against us to help us build perseverance and endurance, not to build who we are just to shape us. Open Life had a moment, this church, that shaped us. Um, Our first fall, the fall of 2010, so we started in in January of 2010 at the Regal Theater, right up here off 410, and we loved it, loved the space, loved the opportunities that were there. It was great, and uh, we didn't realize at the time you know we're still discovering our systems and values and just all these things and hanging out but yet we 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 continued when we first started to do what we still do today and that's if any dollar comes in we give you know 10 cents of that back to the community locally and globally and so we were like we would set aside 10 percent of everything that was given and we started ultimately we were like uh, quite a few months in and we're going it was hard to give away that money (laughs) like we're going Who do we give this to? And so we started asking around in the community, and they said, Well, there's a school that went from 38% free and reduced lunches to 58% because of the economy, and they're just really hurting. So we brainstormed as a staff and said, Man, we should partner with this school. We should just strategically bless them over and over and over and over again. And so that school is Liberty Ridge Elementary. So we went and met with them and said, We want to adopt you. What do you need? And they said, Well, we give out. Thanksgiving meals is really the next thing. And we said, hey, we've done something like that before. What if we provide those meals and partner with the community and rally support and do this? And so we committed to 200 meals. I walk out of that meeting and into another meeting and found out in the next meeting that we only had 37 cents in the bank that was undesignated. And I was going, uh... So we call it our 37-cent our moment, right? Because we're staring at the face of a commitment we just made for $6,000, and the reality that we had 37 cents. So that was no bueno, just to go bilingual on you. And uh, so if you need a translation, uh, oops, or something. you know. So we were, we were sitting there really nervous and, and, um, and, and feeling the weight of that, and we had to make some tough choices because we realized, wait a second, how is this possible? Now, we did have that 10% that we'd set aside, but it wasn't $6,000. And so we are just going, we need help. And, And so we were nervous going forward. We had to make course corrections and reduce our expenses and yet just be very truthful with, man, we're expending more than we should and we're living beyond our means and looked at that reality. It was one of those moments that could have defined us. We could have said, shoot, let's close the doors. Guess open life didn't work. But instead, we remembered the words of a guy who kind of made this opportunity of a church even happen. His name's Warren Bullock. And he once told me, he said, Thad, when things go rough, the one thing you never, never want to cut is your generosity. Because when the Bible says when you give, it comes back to you pressed down, shaken together, and running over. I was like, ooh, ah, Wow. Because that's easy to be the first thing, right? It's like, uh, to cut. Well, I was sponsoring this child, but the price of coffee went up, and I got to have two a day, you know? So, you know, but it's like we, oh, well, sorry, child. (laughs) It's like, no! So that's the challenge we face, is what do we do in the face of this? And so uh, we said, well, we're going to go through with this, and we're just going to, we went no salary and just made these crazy decisions. And... Uh, And and we're going to move venues. And it just got all exciting because we became really intentional. Limitation made way for innovation in that moment. And now, what is open life known for in our community? Generosity. Like, it, it came out of this moment. Could you say that was a defining moment? I guess yes. But in the reality, this challenge of not having what we needed to fulfill the commitment we just made, shaped us. And I think God brings tough times into our life. Like, organizationally, that was a tough time. By the way, we ended up providing those meals. They actually only needed 150. Uh, The different companies jumped on board and helped support us. The price of the meals went way down, and we, like, made budget on that event, our income came back up, and we never closed the church, obviously. We're still here and in Sumner now. So it's like, thank you, Jesus. But we're really known for generosity, and Big Give is here again. We named that event Big Give, started with 150 meals, and now we give 1,000 meals away in two weekends on November 21st. And, and next weekend, we'll take an offering for it. Jaden will tell you more about that. But I just look, that's where Big Give started out of a 37-cent crisis moment and yet it shaped us. Now we just have crazy faith for generosity. I mean, back then it was $6,000. Now it's about 30000 to do the event. You know, so we just look at that and go, oh, wow, Lord, you're amazing. So how can we stay in process in life instead of living in a moment? How can we allow ourselves to be shaped and, and deal with the imperfections of the hurts and the the issues that will need our forgiveness or someone else's forgiveness how do we live through this process and allow ourselves to be shaped and not defined we need to process that with god but here's some things that i think will help thought number two prayer helps when it hurts again or when it's not okay it's it's okay to not be okay, right? So what's going to help us make it through not being okay or seasons of not being okay? Well, prayer. It's really hard to hate your enemy if you pray for them. That's why Jesus challenges, you know, love your enemies. And what's the first thing he says there in Matthew five forty four? Pray for those who persecute you. I, every once in a while, have been abnormally blessed by somebody that I've known I offended. And I'm like, oh, shoot, they've read the Bible. (laughs) It's like, they know Matthew 5 because they should be really mad at me, but yet they just like gave me a Starbucks card and prayed for me. And I feel really guilty. It works, the prayer thing, right? Because I was on the offending side. I look at that, and the challenge for us is, man, what if we pray? What it does is it makes spiritual room for allowances or for grace to be given to the person offending us. Colossians 3.13, the writer puts it this way. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Wow, that's a tough teaching to walk out. I'll be the first to confess that that um, there are areas I struggle giving allowances. And if you do a quick inventory, man, where are you quick to not give someone grace or space or as it puts it here, allowance? Maybe not a hurt or forgiveness issue, but more of a snap judgment. I'm going to talk really bad about myself. So if you're a guest, you can, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. I just <laughs> but the reality is I love to be transparent. So get this. Here's the reality. If I download a clunky app on my phone and use it and it's just like bogging down or being weird, yeah, I usually never use it again. Is that awful of me? I give no allowance for the developers. They spend a lot of money on it. Okay, what about slow service in a restaurant or bad service in a restaurant? They come out with your water and their thumb's in it, you know, or something weird. And it's like, I know I'm supposed to give grace. It's a slug in your salad. How graceful are you going to be? How much allowance do you give that person? It's tough, you know. Uh, I think I whined about being cold in the restaurant this week. Uh, they had the back door open. And, you know, sure, the servers might have been sweaty and, like, tired. But all of us were freezing that we sitting there trying to consume food. And uh, so it's just interesting. So you're like, man, I'm not very gracious. I need to work on that. And uh, what about condemning Christians? Like those Christians that picket funerals or like do things, and they do it supposedly in the name of Jesus when it doesn't even reflect his character. I'm really short, and I got to just come to Jesus with that because my allowance is almost pretty much negative zero. You know, it's like, is that a number? Math was never, no, I'm just kidding. Math is pretty, okay, I have to admit, and this is going to hurt somebody's feelings, uh, but, you know, PCs, Okay, that's all I'm going to say. You know, PCs versus Apple. Okay, moving on. Um, uh, Okay, so what about people in the right-hand lane when I want to turn right and they're the only car in front of me and for some reason they want to go straight and they're going to slow me. I have to go through the whole cycle of the light. Okay, see, I'm the only one that bothers. But here's the deal. What I'm talking about here are pet peeves, not true deep hurts. But what we're dealing with and what these passages are dealing with are real offenses. They're real, deep, personal offenses. And prayer gives us supernatural insight into dealing with natural offenses. So if we pray, God can show us the way to step out of that moment or forward in that moment. How does the Lord forgive? That's a great question because we're challenged there in Colossians 3.13 to look at that or ask that when we're in a deal of needing to forgive someone. Man, the Lord forgave me. I need to consider how he forgave me because then I can forgive others in the same way. God brings us back to his reflection. We sang about Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. You know, that's what we do when we pray. We're like, God, I've been, I'm really mad at this guy and oh God, okay, I realize that you like, went to the cross for them and it said you're, you're, you heal us. And all of a sudden, our madness becomes more peaceful. And we can start to hear the Holy Spirit share with us some thoughts about the scenario. Just If you walk away with anything, walk away with the reality that if you pray about those who offend you, you're going to make some forward progress and no longer be stuck. Or maybe you need to read Psalm 103, when the, the writer convinces himself to praise the Lord in tough times, and begins as he's praising the Lord, he begins to reflect on all the things God has done for him. It's the only way he could bring himself out of the darkness. How hurt? Jesus was for us on the cross. Maybe we need to start thinking about that because that's how he forgave us. He died for us. And so he challenges us to forgive. Matthew 6, 14 says it this way just after the first verses we read at the beginning. He says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now that's heavy. What's another element of this? Thought three, payback hurts when it's not okay. Payback. Isn't that a natural response to hurt? I mean, just have kids. It's a natural response. But they hit me first. Okay, do unto others as you want them to do unto you, not as they just did unto you. But that's a great punch, I just want to say. You know, it's like that's the reality with kids is it's like revenge is like crazy and I'll always joke around with my kids, Daddy, so-and-so hurt me. They, like, pulled my chair out, and I fell and hurt my back. I was like, well, did you get up and punch them in the face? And they'll go, no. I'm like, good decision, right? I always use that negative motivator. And uh, you can ask my kids. I say that all the time. It's all usually like, did you break their nose? No. Why, w- why would I have done that? Well, that's, you did the right thing, then, by not breaking their nose. They're all confused. I'm like, just love people. Um... So something, sometimes this, the, the strongest emotion we feel, though, when we're hurt is a revenge, payback. Just go It's like, I'm mad, and I deserve to get them back. Yeah. Absolutely. And depending on what verse you pull out of context in the Old Testament, like, you can kill them and their whole family and all their animals. Right? But Jesus came along and said, no, 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 don't hurt your enemy love them pray for them bless them do good to them and so the challenge we have is okay how do i apply this to my life this is a higher standard this is called grace and i I might make a great box office hit for somebody to go get revenge and kill all of them because they took his daughter Because he has special skills. Anyway, so it's like, you know, just the reality of these movies. Tension, like every 007, isn't he getting revenge for like some girlfriend that he lost? Anyway, so you look at some of the realities of these movies. The tension of revenge makes for an action film. But real life, it makes for misery. And additional hurt on top of hurt. Payback does not work. In fact, it ruins nations because they're determined to pay back one another. And they go to war over it. Revenge doesn't work. Romans 12 really walks through this. And uh, we'll start in verse 14. You could read the whole thing and it would help, but uh, we'll just start in verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Man, man. That's in the Bible, just to don't be too proud, it says right there, to enjoy the company of ordinary people. It's okay to not be okay, right? Some people would push back on that probably and go, I'm a little concerned with the it's okay not to be okay thing because, like, I thought we're supposed to be holy and set apart, and yes, both and, but it's okay to associate with normal people. The Bible's teaching us. Okay, continue. It's just a little stool I wanted to jump on. I'm back off now. Uh, Don't think you know it all. Parents, just jot that reference down if you need that later this week. If you have teenagers, Romans 12, 16. Okay, moving on. Uh, Verse 17 says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God for the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you'll keep burning coals, which is a good thing. It's like a blessing for them to keep burning coals uh, of shame on their heads. It sounds bad. I'm gonna set your head on fire. Usually sounds really horrible. But in that day, you're like blessing them so they didn't have to start their own fire, you know. You gave them burning coals on their head. Let me just. And then final verse: don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. That's tough teaching. Because yes, revenge, do they do you deserve revenge? Yes, but let God do it. Make room for him. Trust him. Tough, tough teaching, because you're still, you know, you're like, did he do it yet? (laughs) Come on, God, when are you going to do it? Okay, so confession time, this is one of those moments I actually told my daughter this morning on the way here, I said, hey, yeah, whatever I talk about today in service, never do that. What? I was like, trust me, I'm going to share a story that you've probably never heard, and uh, this is the awkward thing about your kids growing up, is they're now sitting and listening to how bad you were as a teenager, so here I am uh, as a teenager, this is a high school confession, Uh, I was not your model student, I didn't make a decision to follow Jesus, which radically changed my life at the age of 21, so at the age of like 16, 17-ish, it was 17 probably, or started when I was 15 or 16. I moved to schools, and, and I just, you know, didn't necessarily always like teachers and authority over me, and I pushed back, and I still do. If you say, hey, do this, all it kind of to me, it's like want to fight? You know, so I have to rein back the emotions and, and, and just go with that. Um, but I, I was, I was uh, often in the disciplinary principal's office, either because of something I did or they thought I did. Usually I was there when they thought I did something that I didn't actually do. And so um, then I got away with it on the other time. So I look at that and go, I, I had a really tight r- r- negative relationship with Mr. Myers. And this is kind of something like maybe, you know, I would watch movies like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and go, that's me, you know, uh, or the relationship with, you know, in back to the future with the principal. I'm like, you're a slacker. Yeah, that, that, that was me too. I just didn't do well in school. And so uh, I had disciplinary issues and I was uh, a senior and, and our coach, basketball coach, which I just eat, breathed basketball. Like I was going to go to the NBA. You could tell by looking at me. I'm kind of have that physique, you know, of being a Maybe like the laundry guy for an NBA team. But anyway, I, I thought I was going to play NBA. And you know, believe it or not, I could actually jump in high school. Off the, but now gravity took over because of laws at work. And so, uh, but I used to be able to dunk in high school. I'm dead serious. And uh, so I was like, uh, I thought like my senior year was going to be my breakout year. I was going to go play in college. It was going to be awesome. and uh, But my coach decided to take like a year off, sabbatical, If you would, is what they call it. And so um, I was all of a sudden at the position of, like, a new coach that summer before. And and the disciplinary principal and I had not got along. And they hired his best friend. I was was like, seriously? And he had bad ideas. and, And I would not run the play he wanted me to run. And long story short, I got cut from the basketball team my senior year and it hurt. Like, it hurt bad. I go back and read every once in a while. I th- I've saved some of them in a memory box to re- remember how low I was, and I would read, like, my free time writing at that time, and it was like, how am I alive today if I was writing that stuff down? It was bad. But I, I just went kind of really negative, and uh, one of the things that happened just a couple weeks after getting cut from the basketball team is there was a snow day we were getting let out early and they warn you you know please leave the premises and don't throw snowballs or you'll get in trouble blah 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 and so i w- was throwing snowballs with like 20 some other people and who does the disciplinary principal pull out of the crowd of snowball throwers but huff right huff get over here you know so i go over and, and he's like that's it you're out of school I'm going to suspend you. I'm like, for throwing snowballs? Like, what are you going to do with these people? And I was being a jerk back. And, uh, and he goes, I was like, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I was probably getting a little too close to him. And then he stuck his finger. If you're an administrator in a school, don't, don't hate me for the rest of my life now. <laughs> anyway, so uh, just saying, you know, if I was at White River, I wouldn't have done that, Cody. Okay, anyway, so, uh, but, you know, sticks his finger in my chest. You can't. I can do anything I want to do. And he's like jabbing me. And what does that say to me? You want to fight, right? All the kids' eyes are glued on what's happening. And, and I wasn't thinking of that. All I thought is I'm mad. I want to hurt this guy. And so I did. I punched him in the face. So, so that's why I asked my kids, did you punch him in the face? Because I actually did. And it doesn't work out well. Because he looked at me with rage and said, leave this campus right now before I do something I'll regret. And I left quickly. But it started this really bad relationship in between him and myself. He kind of gave me grace in that moment, but yet he kind of also looked extra careful to catch me in something. The story gets worse. I debated whether I should actually tell you this. I'm gonna. But um, I I really went down a dark path, and I looked a little older than my age, and I've always been hairy, so I had a little facial hair and some different stuff. And so I... uh, was buying things I shouldn't buy at my age and, and maybe redistributing them on the campus. Anyway, I got caught by a liquor control board sting, and who do they tell? Not my parents, the disciplinary principal, because that happened to be the parking lot I was selling it in. And so in the middle of class, I get called out by a smirky disciplinary principal. I just had the smirk. And he took joy in calling my parents with me sitting there in the room and, and the police and others, and I got in real big trouble. And I took a little time off school, study well, right? And uh, so anyway, all that to say, after my voluntar- volunteer time with Mothers Against Drunk Driving, I thought I was better, but he won. Like, that was my senior year. I was out of school, and I'm like, you know, the whole I'm going to pay you back thing was like he won. Because it was kind of like a competition then, right? Well, it just so happened that about three years later, I'm working as a, a a a singing and dancing waiter on a cruise ship, and I look at my set list of who's in my section that night. You know, you get their names and stuff, and I notice Myers Retirement Party. And I'm going, no, no, no. Sure enough, though, Guess whose retirement party happened to land in my section that night? This is how evil I was. I did not recommend anything that I am talking about today. And uh, this is just how much grace God has for us because He should. I'm the worst. I'm just saying. So I decided to try to one-up, right? And so I heated up one of those old glass coffee pots because, you know, when the glass is really hot and it interacts cold, it shatters. So I had it all set and went to the table. At the end of the night, I'd served well and graciously and somehow not you know, done anything bad. And at the end, when they wanted coffee, I I needed both my hands. So I said, and so I set that coffee pot on the cold glass top table right in front of him. And it did, as I assumed, and it shattered, scalding him with hot coffee. And I thought, I won, right? I got my ultimate revenge. And I thought it was pretty funny, too. I told people the story. Then it came back on me. A year later, I'm at the lowest point of my life. I find myself in church. I make a decision to follow Jesus. And on a series, when they were talking about forgiveness, who comes to the altar to pray for me as I'm crying there, thinking of all the people I've hurt? My principle. Not the disciplinary principle, but the principle who dealt with the disciplinary principle dealing with me, right? Mr. Sankey is praying over me, and I just had that moment where I was like, man, I was a mean student. (laughs) I apologize. And the Holy Spirit did something in me there. And I stopped being vengeful and angry and hurtful. I don't know what it's going to take for you, but it was a sermon like what what we're hearing today that literally pulled me out of that darkness in revengeful mode. Final thought. Pride conquers us when it's not okay. Confession takes laying down our pride. To say I was wrong took laying down my pride. To say you were wrong takes laying down your pride. Or to say I'm going to let God take revenge instead of me takes laying down what we feel we deserve. To pay back. We find ourselves forgiving when we shouldn't forgive. According to the world, pride keeps count and keeps a tally of wrongs. But if we lay that down, Matthew 18 21 through 22 says, Peter came to him, Jesus, and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, Jesus said, not seven times, but 70 times 7 or that means to infinity. Keep forgiving. Reality is, and I was thinking of the fires in Eastern Washington and you would hear but well, two years in a row there's been record fires and they put these fires out and save buildings, but what do they always have to watch for? Flare-ups. You know, a red flag warning will come because the wind's going to be so strong that just an amber underneath the moss, sure, they sprayed it, they doused it with plain red gooey stuff. You know, it's like out But the right wind and the right temperature can reignite that flame. And I began to think about our lives and our angers and our hurts and our bitterness and our rage and our paybacks and all these things. And it's like, we can think we're free from that. We can give it to God and we can say, okay, I give you my hurts. I just ask for forgiveness for them. I forgive them. I do. It still hurts and I want them to pay. But yet, God, I'm going to make the choice to forgive them and begin to pray blessing over them. And we get to that mode, but yet when we still hold that entitlement of pride that they deserve, then flare-ups are more susceptible. Reality is flare-ups are going to happen. You're going to get in a moment where you'll have a... Like, you'll be tempted to be hurt again. You'll be tempted to let that identity be attached to that defining moment versus a moment that shapes you. Flare-ups occur just like a bad fire. Because, yeah, it's destructive and it hurts, the fire. But the flare-up can do even more damage. We need to be aware and not think we're not susceptible to flare-ups. Well, I've followed Jesus for 10 years. It can flare-up. Be aware. Be ready in season and out of season. So here's the action step for today. Perfect love. But wait, 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 Thad, you said that we don't have to be perfect. Yeah, you're, you're, you're perfected spiritually when you make a decision to follow Jesus. But let me talk about the word perfect in the passage that we read. It said, you are to be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. What is this talking about? I looked it up because I was bothered by the text, ultimately. So I began to study it because I'm like that's just not consistent, God, with the rest of your word. Why is this here? And uh, and the word perfect from the Hebrew, the original like, language, says th- that it's really, a, a, it expresses the action as a unit or as a complete total action. It's tied to the word tense, so past, present, and future. So what is this talking about in the context of this passage then? That we're supposed to perf- be perfect in love as Jesus was perfect in love. Not that we're wholly perfect. I am now a perfect man. Because I made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to walk out from here perfect. False belief. We're not going to be perfect. But we do know the ingredients to perfect love. We begin to pray for those who hurt us and need our forgiveness. We begin to bless them. We do good to them. And we get forward progress and begin to see a way to the other side of that hurt. And forgiveness. We become complete in love. That's what perfect means. So we can perfect love. The questions that you need to ask as I pray today over you in just a moment. How can you perfect love? With your own hurts, your own forgiveness. How can you help others find a way to act in love towards those who hurt them. First, it's by finding, by following God, because if if forgiveness is rooted in loving as He loves, then we need to open our lives up to His love. But then it's beginning to pray for others. So I dare you, this week, to pray for those who hurt you. It doesn't say that you have to, like, stop right there lay your hands on them speak in other tongues and love them like you know Elijah somebody tags you on a football field and gives you a shiner let's just say that happened yesterday and uh you don't have to in the middle of the football field man that really hurt God pray for you Lord I just thank you for this guy who just demolished my face and I pray that'd be weird but you can go home and go God I pray for that kid His shoulder must really hurt, because my face is in pain. Forgive him, Lord, right? God, I pray that you would awaken in us the ability to pray for those who hurt us. And for some in this room, I know that the defining moment that allows that to happen in their life, that's gonna be when they cross the line of faith, when they say, Jesus, I choose to follow you, For me, that's when my anger and bitterness and striving to hurt others, it left when I chose to follow you. So God, I pray that right now you would open up people's lives to follow you first. That they would simply say, Jesus, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. That they would tell us about it. That they would check the box on the back of their Connect card. Or come down to those praying and, and, and pray with them and say, I just wanted you to know I made a decision to follow Jesus today. So I could get free from the hurt and forgiveness issues in my life. But God, for the rest of us, we just need the courage to pray for those who hurt us. We need the courage to begin to bless those who persecute us. We need to go in a positive direction. And there'll be a day when we find ourselves on the other side of the bridge of hurt and resentment. But God, let us begin to make progress. Let us begin to view hurts and bad moments in our life as opportunities to shape us versus defining moments. And I give you thanks for the life you allow us to live as supernatural or ordinary as we find it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.